What do they bring to the table that makes them unique? Everybody sells houses. I want something more than real estate. I want to know them as a human. Search criteria should be fluid. It's going to evolve. It always does. This information today will make you a more informed buyer. Your realtor should be your friend and ally, even post-closing. Welcome to the Urban Connect Podcast. I'm Jennifer Archambault, and I'm the broker owner of Urban Provision Realtors, and I'm thrilled to have you tuning in today. If you're here, chances are your prospective buyer, seller, or homeowner searching for clarity on the ever-changing real estate landscape here in Texas, and you've come to the right place. In each episode, we will discuss a myriad of topics, providing you with the knowledge and tools to navigate the complex realm of real estate, from insider tips on how to prepare your home for a successful sell, to insights on the latest market trends and everything in between. I've got you covered. So sit back, relax, get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level with the Urban Connect podcast. Buying a home can be simultaneously exhilarating and enjoyable venture, as well as a pivotal moment for significant decision-making. Procuring real estate often stands as one of the most substantial financial commitments individuals will undertake in their lifetime. Therefore, it comes as no surprise that this process often generates considerable levels of anxiety and stress. As the process of buying a home unfolds, it is essential to not only comprehend where to begin, but also fully remain aware of the intricate journey that lies ahead. Bridging the gap between introductory meetings with your chosen realtor and ultimately achieving the status of a homeowner and everything in between. This brings us to our next three-part series. Over the course of this three-part buyer series, I will unravel the layers of the real estate space, unveiling the life cycle of a real estate transaction from the buyer's perspective, outlining their side of the transaction. The goal is to provide education that's not only set realistic expectations, but more importantly, equips those navigating the home buying process with the knowledge to sidestep costly mistakes. In this first episode, I will explore the process of interviewing realtors, the art of selecting the right one, how to set the tone and set expectations during the initial client realtor meeting, and conclude with insights on how to properly define your search criteria. So let's get started. Today, I don't have a guest. It's just going to be me going through what I think is uh, the process uh, the buyer normally kind of charts through the process and um, I call it, this is uncharted waters charting through these waters. So first thing that a buyer should do is interview realtors. It is amazing to see how many people end up buying a house and interview one realtor. But it's about 80% of the time that they don't interview any more realtors at all. They don't understand differences between different people, what um, they bring to the table, different competence levels. They interview one realtor. As a realtor, you know, I would love for you to to interview me and move forward, but I know it's in your best interest to interview multiple people. So with that said, interview multiple people. If the person who recommended them to you or refer them to you, ask how long ago that they used that person if it's been a couple of years, it may not be the best referral. If they use them the last couple of months or six months, it's likelihood that they're still doing business to the same fashion and same a level that they were doing it a couple of months ago. The times that oh, I used them five years ago, 
A lot can change in five years. Our market has radically changed in five years. So some realtors are skirting different ways of doing business. They're not earning enough business. Um, So again, you want to make sure that you're going to get the same experience as the person that referred you, that person. You want to ask each realtor the same list of questions. I can provide you a list of questions in the show notes. You should come up with some of your own questions as well, not some realtor questions that some realtor created, but it's important for you to get answers on. Some of the things that I like to ask different people that I do business with, whether it be for me as a realtor, their insurance agent, or maybe a mortgage professional, because they're my clients, is what, what is their um, UVP, which is unique value pro- proposition? What do they bring to the table that makes them unique? No, not what makes them alike, right? Everybody sells houses. Everybody sells, you know, a set number of houses. I don't think them selling a lot of houses is their unique value proposition. I want something more than real estate. I want them, I want to know them as a human. So ask them what their unique value proposition is and ask them to go beyond real estate because you you're going to get to know them beyond real estate. If you're going to work with someone, let's just say South Austin, uh, Northwest Houston, you know, uh, Central Dallas, it doesn't matter where you're going to be working with this person. You want to know that the knowledge that they have for the specific area or neighborhood that you want to be buying in is abundant. Um, you don't want to work with somebody who has never sold a house there, has never helped anybody buy a house there, um, has no, no idea what's happening with local development. Um, all of that comes into play with knowledge base. So you want to make sure that they can provide you with some insights that they're familiar with areas and, you know, um, know what's happening in the area. What happens with commercial development and uh, development as a whole around neighbor and like neighborhoods and um, where people live impacts housing. So this is what's very important to know. Let's say you're buying, you want to buy in this specific neighborhood where it's brand new and there's this big empty lot behind the neighborhood. Well, what's going on? Is that going to be another neighborhood? Is it house zoned? Um, is it on the market? Is it for sale? What's the seller's um, end goal with it? For instance, you know, years ago, my brother wanted to buy in a brand new community. He loved this property, um, uh, this house, this lot. But it backed this little sliver and come find out it's going to be a gas station right behind his house. So he didn't buy there. He bought another lot, another in the same neighborhood, just a different lot. So, you know, he didn't want that gas station behind him. So just keep that in mind. And then um, I think this is the biggest question that you can ask um, a realtor when you're interviewing. Ask them about how they've handled transactions that went wrong. You know, ask them, can you name a time when something went wrong? And how did you deal with it? If they answer, never, nothing, never, nothing's ever gone wrong ever. To me, that's a red flag. There are so so, uh, many moving parts in a real estate transaction on the buyer side, seller side, doesn't matter. There's more possibilities for issues to arise than not. I think with almost my 20 years in the business, I've had probably one flawless transaction so it's a, it's rare as you know many years have been in transactions I've done. So um, I want to hear how they converted bad to good. That to me is um, showing their intelligence, edu- you know, competence, and so how they can resolve issues. 
Um, so because you're going to have an issue. Buyer and seller aren't going to agree on negotiating. The You could get a seller agent on the other side who's difficult to work with. You could get um, some issues on title, maybe sorted out. I mean, there, there could be a laundry list of things that happen. So you want to make sure that they have the ability and wherewithal to handle something that went wrong. And then how do you get it right? And then for me, coming from a mortgage background into real estate, I think this is probably my biggest question beyond like, how can they um, change bad to good is what method do you determine value? Are you going to help me set my offer price? And how are you going to get there? What tools are you going to use? Because I will tell you, for me, teaching other realtors on how to determine value for their either listing or for their client or for them to to draw a contract, to write a contract, I see so many different ways. There's really only one true way to, to determine value. And it's rare to see an agent go through that process. So make sure that they're essentially mimicking what an appraiser is doing and um, making your property you're going to be buying look like the other properties in the neighborhood. If they're not doing that, they're taking an average price per square foot. There's going to be issues on that backside. You likely may have an appraisal issue. If they're looking at homes to determine value that are over major highways, um, like in Austin's are going over like Slaughter Lane or Mopac or say the Woodlands are going over the Woodlands Parkway or Grogan's Mill to the other side, they're, they're just not going to get apples to apples comparison. So you want to understand that up front because it will impact you later on the, them, their wrongdoing. So the next thing is, uh, will they be working with you through the entire attraction? Are, are they a solo um, broker or an agent that works with you or do they have a team? Do you have a contract to close person? You know, will you talk to me after the transaction and gets, you know, the contract gets written and will I ever see you and talk to you? Because a lot of times that does happen is, you know, they go off and try to get their next client and they have a team that handles the transaction. So, you know, if it's a team, you kind of want to ask who's negotiating for you. You know, who's, when those issues arise, do you get back into play and, you know, get your feet wet again? Or are you solely relying on this team at this point? And, you know, I, I'm not going to say that's a bad approach. I'm, it's a bad approach when the team's not educated. So um, just ask an abundance of questions if that um, issue comes up. And then the last question, I think, um, again, one of the top ones for me is how will you help me stay now as a buyer? Because, you know, right now there's abundance of buyers, there's abundance of houses on the market. Um, right now we're not in a multiple offer situation in most markets because of high interest rates, but we will get there again. And so as an agent, the you, your agent should be able to tell you what they're going to do for you to help you stand out to look different than someone else that is going to be competing against that same house. So those are the t areas I always say if you're going to be interviewing a, an agent or a realtor, um, some of the things to ask. But again, keep in mind some questions that you want to know that makes you warm and fuzzy inside. So now you have to select the realtor. So I, I segmented this out for, for one reason, because I feel like you need to interview and then you need to, um, after you interview, you need to sit down and almost do like a debrief or almost like a Google um, sheet or a Google doc or whatever. And you need to do a side-by-side -side comparison on each realtor. 
um, and consider areas like likable, trustworthy. Did they listen? Are they competent about the industry, local market? You know how they stood out. You know, based on their unique value proposition, how they navigated hiccups. So that's making a, a wrong or right, or a, you know, an improvement. Um, is it them or sometimes them in the transaction? Do you get all of them or none of them? I mean, how unique is their business practice? And how do you say now? I mean, put in a spreadsheet. It's a, for me, it's a, when I'm buying a house, it's a business opportunity. So make it a business opportunity even though you're going to be living there because at the end of the day, an incompetent realtor is going to cost you money. And you don't want someone to cost you money when you're trying to buy a house. It's very expensive and to start with. So, after analyzing that side by side, you know, draws any concerns of the person that referred or recommended. So to gain more intel on the whys. So, you know, if you didn't see feel that warm and fuzzy, or you didn't feel it was going to be a good fit, ask that person why do you think it was a good fit. You know, what was your experience like? You know, get deeper on their whys. Um, I wouldn't go into uh, your. your reservations or hesitations um you know you don't want to blast the person for saying you sent me someone that was you know good it's just you're following up um now remember that the person that you choose to work with is you're going to be spending an adequate amount of time with this person i call this business dating real estate business dating so and when you're dating someone you you want to like them right you want to spend a lot of time with them um, so make sure that you, when you're going through this process, do you like them enough to spend hours upon hours with them on a Saturday or Sunday or call them or text them or repeatedly, you know, connect with them? If the answer is no, they're not your realtor. For me, it's more about likability and yes, it's a lot about competence and if they can sell a house, but there's going to be a lot of competent people out there, but there's going to be a few that are not likable. So it's okay. Just move on and go to the next one. So again, um, I said this before, don't be irrational. Interview your people, um, your realtors, and select a realtor that um, you've met and um, hopefully you've met more than one before you select one. So after you select your realtor, you want to, um, your realtor should be saying, let's have an initial meeting. Let's not just get into, let's start buying houses because there's a lot of framework to set up, right? A realtor who says, let's put on the brakes. Let's get to know each other a little bit more. Let's make sure our expectations are, are outlined because that makes sure that there's not going to be um, miscommunication or there's not going to be an issue that arises or if there is we know how to resolve it and what, what the you know the expectations expectations are so you know in that um initial client realtor meeting the i call this my setting expectations meeting this is kind of all this does is just you know sitting down over coffee or over zoom or just a quick phone call so did the realtor get to know you and your wives for buying a home? If they didn't, this is your time to say, I'm sorry, but yeah, I thought it was going to be great, but this is not. Move on to your next person on the list. And the reason why, as like I said, it's too, too costly of a mistake to pick the wrong person. 
um, it's better to pivot and just, you know, sideline for a few seconds and, and move on with someone who um, can get to know you and get to know your whys because when they know your whys, they're going to be your perfect advocate. Um, whether it be helping you understand um, why you should move f- forward with something versus why you shouldn't move forward with something. Um, I think the best realtor on the planet is someone who can talk you out of buying, even though they want you to buy. Um, that I've done that countless of times because I know that it's not in the best interest of my client because it's not what they want or need. And it's because of what they told me their whys are. So anyway, so to me, that's the first question. And the first time we can pivot and say, no, I'm sorry. I just, yeah, I thought you were the best person for me, but you're not. Um, and it's okay to say those words. So listen to their expectations, right? So it's not just about you. It's about them too. It's a mutual two-way street. And if, um, if, again, if you can't at least meet their expectations on what they're asking you to do, then you're not a match, right? So move on and find a match. Make sure they listen to your expectations, whether they're, you know, anticipating how to be contacted. Like you say, I want to be contacted by text. I don't want to be called or how often do you want to keep in pulse? Do you want to know everything that goes on in the transaction or do you just want to know the things that go wrong, right? So uh, keep in mind that expectations should not bring out the crazy inside of you or make business demands, but you know, you want to, what you would want to reciprocate if the tables were turned. So um, for me, when I'm dealing with a human being on the other side of the, um, on any transaction, I want to know when something goes sideways. I want to know how they're handling it, what they're doing. And that's my expectation, right? I don't want to know something happened. They never told me about it. I, that's how I get to know my my professional other side. And did I choose the right professional at the end of the day? That's how I learned that I want to refer that professional later. So you decide that, right? So this is, expectations are, um, you know, I want to buy a house by this date as well. I want to, you know, be living it this time. I want to be under contract by this time. I have at least the ends by this date. So those are all key details that would happen during this meeting as well. This is also the time where your realtor should be asking you information that they can't share with anyone. Now, traditionally, nothing can be shared under a client-realtor relationship. It's all buttoned up close to the chest. Only factual data that um, would have to be shared to all can be, to, can be um, released. Um, but anything that you um, want to share, they have to have authorization to share. Um, maybe you're desperate to buy this one house. They can't say that unless you, they have your authorization. Um, you know, m- certain things on the mortgage side or your job. You can't say anything about you as a human unless you get they give them authorization. So this is the time they should be asking you, is there anything that I cannot share or I can share and get proper authorization so they can share it when it's appropriate to share that information? And just remember, you're actually looking for an ally, you're a friend, an advisor, and you're looking for all three. And the reason why I say that it's because the partnership in real estate means to extend beyond the like likable. It's like your realtor should be your friend and ally even post-closing. They should be your advisor through the process. They should be a friend afterwards, but they should be an ally 
even after the dust settles on the transaction and, and all the way through it. So that's who you're hiring. And so when you're going through the motions on step one, you're trying to figure out who you can hire. Are they a friend? Are they an ally? Are they an advisor? If they can't be all three at the end, if they're going to you know, roll up shop after closing, collect their commission, never talk to you, I don't know if I want that person in my life and I want to connect with that person. You know, I want them to be there. So when I have questions later and need help later or when I saw later, I can. So, um, so before we start looking at houses, um, the next step in the process would be to get pre-approved or conditionally approved. The, there's a difference in two, and I will go into the difference in two in just a moment, but, um, your realtor should be able to provide you reputable, competent mortgage professionals in your local market. And the reason I say that is because real estate is local. So your mortgage and lender or loan officer should be local. If you bank at a big box bank, and we all know who our big boxes are, it is okay you bank with them. But real estate is local. Your local Mortgage lenders have worked their butts off to make sure that they are known in the market and they were respected in their market and will not be treating your file like a number as because they don't want that reputation. Most big boxes, your loan will be serviced in another state. You are a number to them, even though you have a banking relationship with them. I'm not saying they can't do your loan. You can't move forward with it. But I have seen in the past where a client did not use someone local, lost out on the offer, and then um, was upset and eventually pivoted. Again, it's your choice, just food for thought. So once the trusted mortgage professional collects every all your data, like you know your assets, your income, all the information that you go give them to qualify, they can assess to what degree you can be approved. And when I what I mean by that is, can you be pre-approved? Can you be conditionally approved? And so what that means is pre-approved means I'm approved. My loan officer has seen all my assets. They have seen all my income. They have all my documents, but an underwriter has not seen it. <clears throat> so you're banking on a pre-approved transaction that... Um, your loan officer has done their due diligence and they're smart enough to um, un- uncover any errors or uncover anything. Now, conditionally approved is same thing, but they have all your documents, but the file has went through underwriting. So an underwriter has touched it and we have conditions. And when we have conditions, what that means is that means that the underwriter has said that the home is approved with the exception of XYZ conditions. Now, I, if I'm a listing agent, I want a conditionally approved loan. I want a conditionally approved buyer. So talk with your realtor and say, who do you work with on a mortgage um, front or the mortgage side? And who has the ability to conditionally approve me 
So when I'm drafting my offers later, I can now be almost pushed to the side and somewhat um, acting like a cash buyer. If you are conditionally approved, putting a large sum of money down, more than 25% generally, and have a decent credit score, and it's your homestead, there is a quite possibility you may not may not need an appraisal. You may get an appraisal waiver. So then you pretty much are a, um, a cash buyer at that point because you've already been approved by an underwriter as long as nothing changes. So those are some of the things to <clears throat> do before you start looking at houses because the first thing that the listing agent asks for when you draft an offer, when your agent submits your offer, is where's your pre-approval letter? And then this person, <clears throat> your mortgage per- mortgage loan officer, is going to assess what the maximum price range is based upon based upon data like current interest rates, homeowners insurance costs, property tax rates for the areas that you're interested in buying a home in, and then and more importantly, your down payment. So they're going to say they're going to collect all that data and they're going to say. You know, Sally can buy between this price range and this price range. Now, if that's a dollar amount that you feel comfortable with moving forward with, with, then great. That's the price range you tell your realtor you set up a search. We'll go into that next. But if it's not, provide the mortgage loan officer with a dollar amount you can, you believe that you could sustain monthly and then let them tell you a different price range. That happens all the time. It is common for someone to be approved beyond what they believe they can financially output every month. It happens all the time. If a loan officer provides you with a pre-qualified mortgage assessment or, or pre-qualified, it says pre-qualified at the top, run to the next person. You don't want that pre-qualified. What that means is they've taken your verbal of your assets, your income, and your and you you filled that application, but they maybe even looked at credit, but they haven't looked at anything else. And I've seen so many transactions derail from that that you don't want that. You don't want to know that your person, the the mortgage professional, um, didn't do their job and didn't know or or was not seasoned enough, right? So. There's a lot to think on the mortgage side. So we ask you um, as professionals to get that layer of uh, pre-qualification, but being pre-approved or conditionally approved up front if you're going to be doing a mortgage. If you're not going to be doing a mortgage, the tr- the typically you give uh, generally an asset statement, bank statement, um, 401k statement, wherever your funds are going to be coming from. The um, tradition is to block out any um, account numbers so they can't get access to your account, but you know you need to prove and show that data, right? So the last piece of it, and this is what everybody gets excited about, right, is the, is putting together the home search, establishing that criteria. So first and foremost, a buyer should understand before we even go into let's put together some criteria, is that search criteria should be fluid. And because the initial search that you put together, your criteria is going to change throughout the home search. It's going to evolve. It always does. I can ask my client to write in a piece of paper what they want to buy, put an envelope, seal it up, and give it back to them at closing. And it will change. It doesn't matter who it is. 
they were going to buy a new different house. It happens 100% of the time. And then also be aware that the listing data in the MLS, where, where all the information, all the data is being populated from, whether you're viewing it on Zillow or Redfin or a brokerage website, doesn't matter where you're looking at the data from, it's coming from the hub source MLS. So that listing data is only good as a listing agent or the assistant who entered the data. So just on the backside, uh, understanding. There's hundreds of fields within within MLS that a realtor has the ability to add data to. So within those hundreds of fields, there are several hundred options that we can select. Now, out of that data, only a handful full of fields are mandatory just for the listing to become active. So a realtor can be I'm going to call it super lazy and only put in the mandatory fields and only just do, you know, status quo, just get just get a listing in the, mark, in the MLS. The new buyer don't have a lot of information about the property. You have some pictures, but you don't have the listing data. Or you can have a realtor who goes above and beyond, tries to fill every data parcel out, every box is checked that needs to be checked, every little subsection is checked that needs to be checked. And you have an abundance of data. So you get different spectrums under the hood. So you get the one that I've described the first and the one that I've described the second. So <clears throat> just know that you're going to change because you may not be able to find the data by the MLS data. And you may figure out that you have to pivot your data to get what you want or your criteria. So I always encourage my buyers to make a needs once and uh, needs once list and i i call it my needs once can't stand list things you need one column things you want another column things you cannot stand third column but revisit it often and update it often it's going to change so now the time has come for you to help your agent set the home search criteria so this is how you'll receive those instant notifications when properties hit the market. And this is where a competitive, um, a competent realtor is going to shine. They're going to take whatever price range that you said, they're probably going to price a little bit higher in the MLS. So if you said 400 or 500 or 500 to 700, they're probably going to go to 725 or 525. The reason for that, they're not pushing you over the edge. What they're doing is they're letting you see everything that at this time could be overpriced. And then you get to see it before it falls into your category, right? Number one. And then they're probably going to do a wider net. So if you say, create this boundary, I only want to be, um, if you haven't given like a school specific boundary and you're saying just roadway boundary, they're probably going to take you a little bit wider. And the reason why it's because we often see that as um, an area that changes and evolves. So just remember, once your home search is set, it can be as changed as often as is necessary. It changes often. I, I don't think I've ever had a home search that set and then forget and we just bought a house. Something pivoted and changed. Um, most MLS platform, um, platforms have a client-facing portal and while, while and I wouldn't say this, while it's not the best facing in the mobile environment, it's terrible. Um, 
most of them were terrible. Um, it's going to be how your realtor shares the data with you and where you can keep some really detailed notes. I don't know of a system on the planet where your realtor can share data with you. You can get it and you can share notes back that you're both a part of. The MLS is that one piece. You can rank properties within this saying, I love it. I might like it. I really don't like it. Put in the trash bin. So I encourage you to use the portal. Even if you use a third-party service like Zillow, Redfin, or whatever, use that as a service to look at the properties. But go to your portal and rank and keep notes. By the time you get to 50 properties, you're going to be confused on why you liked it, didn't like it, put it in whatever category you did. Keep notes. It's going to help you out. It's also going to help you out when you see a property go off the market and come back on the market about why you didn't like it before because maybe they took it off to do some updates. So then it may change going from, uh, I don't like this at all to, oh my gosh, this is my favorite because they did a lot of work to it. So these five segments conclude this first episode of our three-part buyer series. So I hope that this information... um, Today was informative and will make you a more informed buyer in a future transaction. I look forward to our second episode where I will dive into the next phase of the buying process, which is searching for homes in person and how to make an attractive offer and a few little nuggets that you'll want to consider during this part of the process. So I'd like to express my sincere gratitude to all of our listeners, whether you're listening to us from the comfort of your own home or on the go. I hope today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, I will be grateful if you would consider following or subscribing our podcast. Your support plays a crucial role in expanding our reach and fostering the growth of the Urban Connect community. If you have any comments or questions regarding today's episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly at jennifer at urbanconnectpodcast.com. Your feedback is invaluable and I'm always eager to hear your thoughts and suggestions. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Ashambo and I look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of Urban Connect.